What a joy to be part of a commissioning and ordination. And I just want to say as we start out that that doesn't mean that all of you are not called and commissioned to God's kingdom as well. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But Chris, just congratulations. I'm so glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 13. And as you turn there, I want to take a second to kind of catch us up on this sermon series. We're in this series renewed. We're looking at our core values. And it's been an incredible series to really understand what are we doing here as a church? What have we committed to? Where are we going? And why are we going there? And I want you to imagine for a second that you're bowling. I think I've got a picture of a bowling alley here. There it is. How many bowlers in the room? Yeah, a few of you, right? I don't know if as many people bowl. Bowling was like a thing, right, in like the 70s or whatever. I don't know. Whatever happened to bowling alleys. But uh, that was not meant to be offensive. Um, but the goal of bowling is to get the ball down the lane and hit those pins down. I think there's 10. I'm not a bowler, but I'm pretty sure there's 10. The goal is to get the ball down the lane, not in the gutter, right? The goal is to get it all the way down there and get a strike. And if you get one, you're really happy and everyone jumps up and they high five. And if you go in the gutter, you know, you're just thankful that you get to do it twice, right? I want you to imagine for a second that our vision as a church is those pins. We are trying to get the ball all the way down to hit those pins down. And if we actually did it, we would complete our vision, which is this, which is on the screen. Our vision as a church is to see communities renewed by the love of Jesus. If we were to get the ball all the way out and hit the pins down, that's what it would look like. It would look like this church renewed, Chino renewed, and really the entire world renewed by Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message, the redemption and redeeming of everything. Are we going to see that in our lifetime? I hope so, but we may not. But we're part of that. Since the gospel was preached, since Christ died and rose, that's been what's happening over time. That's what we're hoping and praying happens. The question is, how do we get there? We get there on mission. And mission is like that bowling alley. I mean, the, the lane that goes down to the pins. That's the way that we're getting to the vision. And our mission is this, to equip and send passionate followers of Jesus all you guys and myself included to renew our community and world for Christ that's how we want to see really the world renewed by Christ well how do we stay how do we not get in the gutter because I know about you I'm not like a great bowler right some of you guys are like really good you've got your ball some of you grab like a six pound ball and you just like chuck that thing as hard as you can I'm more one of those guys and I go in the gutter a lot how do we stay out of the gutter we have core values. Our core values are like these bumper rails. You guys ever seen these things? Right? Praise the Lord for the bumper rails, right? Only kids use them, right? Yeah, right. And the beautiful thing about these rails is you can't go in the gutter. I mean, you could, you'd have to like throw the ball into the next lane. Who's done that, right? I mean, I've done that. But uh, because what they do is no matter how bad you're, throw is or whatever your form is, the ball is just going to ting, ting, 
ding, and it's going to keep moving forward down, and hopefully you're going to hit at least one pin down. Maybe you get a whole strike. Our core values are like bumper rails. They keep us on mission because it's so easy to get off track. It's so easy to focus just on one value and miss all the others. So our values are this. I'm just going to recap these real quick. Rooted in Scripture, earnestly seeking God, natural outreach, engaging relationships. Thanks to those who participated in that dinner, by the way. That was pretty fun. We're going to do another one of those. Wholehearted generosity. That's what Pastor Don talked about last week. Equipped for ministry. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the last one is diverse unity. These are the values that are keeping us on mission, going down the lane, so that by the grace of God, God is going to get a strike. None of us individually can do it, but by God's grace, we can. And so today, I hope that helps. This, th that's an analogy I use. It really helps me make sense of the language we use a lot because sometimes it just gets a bit confusing. We're talking about equipped for ministry today. Equipped for ministry. What have you been called to do? Why have you been called to do it? What is ministry? Ministry is, is simply the work of the church. It's what we're all doing for the glory of God and for the benefit of the world around us. And it's meant to be all of us doing the ministry. Right? I don't just do the ministry. Pastor Don doesn't just do the ministry. Any other pastor. We all as the church do the ministry. And we're supposed to be equipped to do that. And today what we're going to do, we're going to look at the life of Jesus in John chapter 13. Because we have to understand, well, how was Jesus equipped for ministry? What kind of, what is the posture of our heart when we think of service? And if you're reading through uh, the book, Organic Disciples, Kevin Harney uses the term humble service. And I'm going to use that a bit, and we're also going to use equip for ministry. We're going to kind of pull those together so you might see some familiar things. But we want to go look at the life of Jesus. We have to understand how he was equipped if we want to have an understanding of what we're doing when we get to the bowling alley. Okay? So John chapter 13, this is God's word for us today, starting at verse 1. That's what John writes. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, that he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, he wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, said Simon Peter, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not every one of you is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And we're going to finish the passage a little bit later. This incredible story, Jesus 
washing the feet of his disciples. And the first thing I want to say is this. Jesus models for us what true humility and service looks like. Jesus is the model that we're supposed to follow. And I just want to step back for just a second and think about this. In John chapter 1, John opens his gospel saying this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made that were made. With him, without him, nothing was made that has been made. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The transcendent God comes down in flesh as Jesus, the incarnation. We're going to celebrate that in just a couple months at Christmas time. Jesus is the word. That's what John is saying. The physical manifestation of God, the eternal God, like Jesus is there always before Genesis 1, after Revelation, Jesus has always been. And, and he's saying everything that was created, every single thing came through Jesus. Think about that. And this Jesus comes in the flesh as a human. And he's, John records him going through his gospel, doing miracles and signs and teaching with authority and showing mercy and love. And we've, we've walked through this, these incredible things that Jesus does. Unlike anybody else, he's a rabbi with authority and he has followers. That Jesus, God in the flesh, he enters into his last week on earth. John chapter 13, he's got about six to seven days before he's going to die on the cross. And the thing that is on his heart, the thing that he has to do is wash the feet of his disciples. Would that be on your top priority list coming to the end of your life? No, I'm going to answer it for you. No way! What is happening here? It's incredible. And we get a glimpse of this because Peter in verse 6 says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? See, they're having the same reaction that we are. But they're like, uh, what's, 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 what's happening here? We're supposed to read this and think, what's happening here? Something's not right. Why would the rabbi be washing our feet? Why would the Messiah, why would God in the flesh who made feet come down and wash them. I got to tell you, when was the last time you washed feet? Right? I'll tell you, I'll, be, I'll give you guys, I'll answer the question for you. The only person's feet that I touch are my wife's because they're clean and I love her and I rub her feet. I'm not saying, I'm just being honest. So when our kids were little, Right? That's like you touch feet. They're little smushy. You're washing them in the sink, and they're all like, oh, you know, and they smell all good, and you like put them on your face or whatever people do, right? I did it too. My kids are nine and ten, two boys. I can't even begin to explain to you <laughs> how <laughs> functified my kids' feet are. Okay? It's, they shower every single day. I love them. I say this to them all the time. I'm not saying anything to you that I haven't said to them. I don't even have the words. There's no way I'm touching their feet. They take their shoes off in our car, the windows go down. I mean, listen, I'm just saying, okay, now no, this is my point. My point is this. They may have a disease, I don't know. The other side is, <laughs> they might. But my point is this. They're my own flesh and blood. Like, they're half of me. 
I love them. I'd give my life for them. I do not want to touch or wash their feet. Right? Think about this, and we don't have to go into a big detail. I mean, you would know they all wear sandals. Their feet are dirty. We've heard that kind of sermon before. So, but, but Jesus is going to do this thing. Why? Why would he do it? And we get this answer in Mark 10, 45. This is what Jesus says. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is interesting, the way that the the sentence is structured, because what it's not saying is, hey, the Son of Man came here, and he's going to do a bunch of things, and one of the things that he's going to do is serve. This verb serve is supporting that verb to come. It's saying this, the reason that Jesus has come is to serve. It's for the express purpose of doing that. I am here for that reason. Think about that. It doesn't say, I came to be worshipped. He could have said that. That would have been a good verse. And I, he should be worshipped. But he came to lay his life down. Jesus came to serve. Now notice this. This is really interesting. If you look at verse 4, there's up until verse 3, it's kind of like John is narrating kind of what's happening and setting us up for what's happening. But in verse 4, we get to the action they're all, they're all at the meal, and they're not sitting in chairs, you know, whatever. They're, they're lying, they're, whatever, they sit down and stuff, and they're around the table, and they're reclining, and Jesus is doing his rabbi thing, saying stuff they don't understand. <laughs> and it says this, so he got up from the meal, right, so he gets up, he physically gets up. It says that he takes off his, uh, he takes off like his cloak, he wraps a towel, takes a towel, wraps around his waist, he pours water, and then he goes around, Now think about what's happening here. Jesus actually equips himself for the task that he's taking on. He physically has to change. He is very intentional about what he's doing here. And I want to walk you through it for a second. He leaves his current seat at the table. He steps away from like the master's role and that place of authority. He changes his outfit. It's very specific to say that. And then in verse 12, it says that he got changed again. John wants us to pick up on what's happening here. He changes. Then he takes on the role of the servant where he's actually going to wash their feet. Now think about this for a second. I don't wash a lot of feet like I already admitted. But I'm pretty sure I can't wash feet like this. Standing. I just don't have the flexibility, right? I can't even. For Jesus to wash feet, Jesus has to come down. He has to bow down before these men. And he's washing their feet. And he's taking a towel. And he has laid humble before these men in the face of their smelly feet. The Son of God is doing this. And think about who he's, feet he's washing. He's washing the feet of Judas, who's already moved to betray him. He's washing the feet of the other betrayer, Peter. And he's washing the feet of all these men who at some point are really going to walk away from him when he gets to the cross. He shows no favoritism as he washes their feet. He doesn't skip Judas. Judas. 
He doesn't wash one person's feet longer because he likes them. I don't think, at least he doesn't say that. He's bowed before them, washing their feet, and then he gets up and he goes and he puts his cloak back on. See, Jesus came to serve. Listen to the... Listen to the words of Philippians 2.6 with that picture in mind of Jesus bowed down before these men. Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's our Jesus. That is humble service. That's the example that we're called to follow. See, our Jesus was not afraid to humbly serve. In fact, he leads in it. And I want to just say this before we kind of move on. I don't want us to just spiritualize this story because we don't know what to do with it. Where we read it and walk away saying, oh yeah, we're supposed to like wash feet, but I mean, we're not actually supposed to do that. It's a metaphor. Jesus actually washed their feet. Like he, he physically did it. And we do this stuff with the Bible, we get uncomfortable. We read the story of the rich young ruler, right? We love that one. Jesus says, hey, go sell all your stuff and come follow me. And then we say, and I want to say it too, well, Jesus isn't actually going to like give up your money and follow him. Is he? I'm being serious. Right? I mean, it's challenging. I want us to sit with it. Is Jesus calling you to actually wash feet? Possibly. Are there layers to the meaning of it? Yes. But... If Jesus did it, we're going to have to think about that. Let's continue to read this story. This is verse 12. Incredible scene. Jesus comes back. This is what it says. When he had finished washing their feet, he put his clothes back on and returned to his place. He said this, do you understand what I have done for you? Then he asked, you you." Call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus, second thing, Jesus calls his disciples to serve as he served. On some level, it's really simple, right? I mean, he spells it out for them. Here's the example. Go do what I did. But when you read it, is it really that clear? Do we think that the disciples really understood this? And there's some hints in the text when you read that let you know, I'm not totally sure they quite knew what was going on. Remember, it wouldn't have been normal for their rabbi to wash their feet. That would have been a role that a servant would have took. They're totally kind of thrown off by this. And then Peter's like, well, just give me a full bath. And Jesus is like, I'm not doing that, you know. So they're a little confused here. 
Notice Jesus asked them a question, do you understand what I have done for you? What's their answer when you look at the text, the Bible? I don't know. It doesn't record one. He asked them a question and then there's no answer. <laughs> you notice that? Do you understand what I've done for you? And then it says, he asked them. And then he goes on to spell it out. So I don't know what actually happened here, but this is kind of what I picture. He asked them a question, and they're all around the ta table kind of like, you know when someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to? And you're like, yeah, sure, <laughs> like, totally. And they're all like, what's going on? I'll give you an example. I was sitting at the kitchen table with my kids uh, this week. And we're eating, and they were, what did you learn at school, you know? And they're talking about grammar. By the way, I was an English literature major. This is embarrassing, okay? Took a lot of grammar. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're talking about predicates. And they're like, oh, predicates. And like, you know, and I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh. For, for you know, just for anybody who doesn't know, I ask them, just what is, Wyatt, like, what's a, what's a predicate, <laughs> you know? Because I have no idea what it is. I can't even remember. And they're like, well, you know, Dad, it's like, it's the action of the noun, and it follows, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know. I was just seeing if you knew, <laughs> right? And then I asked Kaylin, too, and she was like, I don't know. <laughs> so I felt better. But, you know, you play these things off like, I totally know what a predicate is. Like, I write stuff, you know. I kind of picture a little bit that they're answering, like, maybe, maybe we, but not really. So Jesus says, I'm going to interpret my act for you. I'm going to show you what's happened. And he gets really specific, and he says, listen, this thing I've done for you, if I as your rabbi wash feet, you're washing feet. You got it, Joe. Right? The servant is not greater than its master. I mean, it's really quite clear. And what I want to encourage you as we look through like a text like this, which is fascinating, I want you to be good Bible students. And I want you to start to ask yourself some questions, which would be this. Does foot washing show up anywhere else in the Bible? It's a really good question. Whatever text you're in, hey, does this thing show up anywhere else? Especially in the Old Testament. Because if it did, Jesus, one, would know about it. Two, it might help us understand what's going on here. And I want to give you some homework if anybody's up for the challenge. It's actually try to find some. There are instances, and I cut them for time, um, but they're there of interesting things where people are getting their feet washed or people are going to wash feet or people are just washing feet, and it's, it's in there. And I want to challenge you to do some homework, and you can email me with the examples. Um, and what you're going to find at a large level is this. There is a long legacy of good people, complicated good pe people of high stature, of low stature, that God is using. And guess what they all have? Humble service. There is nothing that they will not do for their God. I mean, just pick a person. It, it's, it's incredible. Jesus is not starting something new here. He's continuing a legacy of humble service where God's people have always been equipped 
with the posture of service. Those are the people that God is using. People who are willing to get on their hands and knees and wash some feet or do whatever act it might be that God's calling them. I'm not saying, just to be clear, the only thing the church does is wash feet. Just, we can do other stuff. But there's one other example that's really interesting that I do want to spend a little bit of time on. Because what I want us to remember is this. In God's economy, the person who is kind of pulled into authority is supposed to be servant of all. Right? In our normal culture, as you grow in your job and you're doing your thing and you're walking up the hierarchy or whatever structure you're in, what happens as you go up that thing, you do less service stuff, right? The grunt work is for, we use these terms all the time, that's for the people who make less or they're just in this. And I'm not even, I'm not trying to attack our structures of jobs. I'm not even saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying that's our understanding. So that as I work up, well, no, I have somebody who does that for me. That's what we're used to, right? God's economy is completely backwards. You position and authority in God's kingdom do not get you out of service. They actually require that you be the servant of all. That's what it is. And that creates a lot of complications for us as we try to be equipped for ministry and we try to do what God's called us to do because we, we're operating in one space a lot of the week and we're in church and we're, we, we get confused because sometimes we think, well, I'm, I'm above this. Those things happen for all of us. Position and authority do not get you out of service. If the Son of God is washing feet, get out your towel, okay? But not only is Jesus setting this example, I think there's something else happening. And it has to do with another story of foot washing. So if you happen to be reading through the Gospel of John, the disciples would have had a scene that just happened recently for them where somebody else got their feet washed. The chapter before this in John 12, there's another scene of foot washing. Jesus comes into Jerusalem. He comes to Bethany first before he's going to make the triumphal entry. And guess who gets their feet washed? Jesus. Interesting, right? It just happened. And it's a powerful scene because they're at a table eating, just like what happens in John 13. And Mary gets up and she grabs this bottle of whatever, really expensive perfume. And she comes and she probably bows down just like Jesus and pours it on his feet. And she doesn't have a towel, but she's got long hair and she actually dries and washes his feet with her hair. Interesting how connected these are, right? And the disciples would have probably had this in mind because the reactions to that are, uh, we should have sold that oil for a lot of money and given to the poor, and, and they're all confused about what's happening. There's a lot of confusion around Jesus. And Jesus says this, that that act was intended that she save this perfume for the day of my burial. So what's happening there is Jesus is getting his feet washed, but it's this act that's actually anointing and equipping Jesus for the cross. 
and that she was supposed to do that so that he would be ready and equipped and anointed to go, go on his mission to the cross for the sake of all of us here. And then not but a day or a couple days later, they're sitting around a table and Jesus does a very similar act for his disciples. I want to suggest that not only is Jesus giving them an example that you're supposed to go humbly serve, but what he's saying to the disciples is, listen, you have everything you need to follow in my steps. You have been anointed and cleansed and you have everything you need to carry this thing on when I'm gone. And it makes sense. In verse 17 at the end of in chapter 13, 17, this is what Jesus says. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that the disciples have been equipped with understanding, to understand what Jesus did. Now that you've been equipped to understand that humble service has to be the posture of all the ministry that you do. Now go and do it. I've given you an example. I've showed you that this is at the heart of what it means to serve in God's kingdom. And then he says, go and do those things. And they do. They get it. The disciples actually, despite the kind of jokes about them being confused, they do get this. And it costs them everything. It costs them their lives. There's nothing that they won't give up. For Christ. And Peter says in, in his letter in 1 Peter 2.21, he says this, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I wonder where he got that language from. He's giving the same message that he got from his rabbi. And so the question is this, as we start to turn the corner, what about us 2,000 years later, are we called to this same thing? Danny, are you saying that I have to go wash feet? Yes. End of message. <laughs> Here's the third thing I want to say. You and me, we have been called, equipped, and gifted to continue Christ's ministry in our world. I want to talk about how we take this story and start to understand what does it mean for us here to be equipped for ministry. I've been trying to build the foundation that at the heart of that is service. Service really for the glory of God, but it works out to service for other people is really how it starts to manifest itself. Listen to this in Ephesians 4.1. This is what the Apostle Paul says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. You have been called. Not only have you and me been called to Christ, to a relationship with him, to covenant with him, but we've been called to like a task. That's what the word speaks of. You've been called to, to participate in something, to actually do something. Right? You got a job. Congratulations. Now we got to do it. You got to show up to work. And Paul is telling the Ephesians, hey, I want you to live worthy of that calling. I want to say this. God's call on your life is irrevocable. God has called you, chosen you, you're his, done. 
but your obedience and willingness to live into that calling, you have something to do with that. Because if it wasn't, then Paul's lying. Because the verse implies that it's actually possible not to live worthy of your calling. We can actually do that. There's some role that we play because of this. You are called to something. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We've been prepared to do something. That's why you don't come to know Jesus and then just like disappear into heaven. That's why we're all still sitting here. Because we get to participate in this really beautiful thing. We get to participate in God growing his kingdom over time and over history. Remember the analogy Jesus gives? He talks about a mustard seed being planted and it's growing and it's growing. And over time, over years, decades, centuries, the kingdom of God is growing. And guess who's helping do that? The people of God are expanding the body of Christ so that one day it covers the whole earth and all of creation will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We get to participate in that. This is God's great dance. This is God's great plan. And every single person here has a role in that. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's a bit overwhelming, right? It's a little bit overwhelming if we're being honest. Which is why you're not just called, but you're also equipped. God is equipping you and us to do this thing. And we read this verse talking about Chris's commissioning. Pastor John read this in Ephesians 4.11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. God has given these offices to help equip his church to go do the work of the church. That's those roles are supposed to help you live into your calling. Because we all do the ministry of the church. The goal is that every Christian, through the help of these offices, learns to use your gifts, your passions, your abilities, all that you are for God's kingdom. The goal is not just to get you to come to church on Sunday, which is awesome. The goal is not just to get you to serve and sign up for fall festival, which you should because we need help. Right? The goal is to help all of us Live into the calling God has placed on our life so that you see your work and your home life and your community through God's lenses. That's what you've been equipped to do. Let me give you an example. Because we're, we've been equipped, right? we, we kind of have everything, and yet we have to develop that at the same time. Um, my son Wyatt uh, is a guitar player. I want him to be. He is. Uh, he has this natural gift for music. It's incredible. Like, he just kind of hears it. And he's got an electric guitar, and he, like, plays up there. And, and I'll hear him. I'll be in the backyard, like, working on the backyard. And I'll hear him up there rocking in his room. And he's playing stuff I've not showed him how to play. And he's playing in keys and doing stuff that I, I know he doesn't know what he's doing. But he hears it. He knows it's right. See, he's got this natural ability. He's been equipped with this gift of music. And he, it may be. It may be that he's supposed to be the greatest electric guitar player ever to live, ever. Okay? Lord have mercy, right? Maybe. But if he doesn't 
play his guitar, if he doesn't practice, if he doesn't let his dad help him sometimes, which we fight about that, if he doesn't do the work, that gift will never be fully realized. Now, he still gets to participate. Maybe he'll be in a garage band and whatever. I don't need to go down that trail, but maybe whatever. But, but he has to work to take that thing and develop it. Does that kind of make sense? And we're all in that boat. God has given you all gifts. So you've been gifted because he has to work at that thing. And you've been gifted. And I want to just give a plug. We're going to do a class after service today that really spends more time in this, in spiritual gifts and equipping. And so if you want to know more, there's an assessment um, kind of survey thing you can take. Be part of the class If you can't be part of the class, I'd be happy to meet with you one-on-one. We're also going to offer the class in the future as well. But you've been gifted. Listen, this Romans 12, 6 says this. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. We've all been given gifts. There's gifts of prophecy and faith and mercy and serving. And there's a whole, it's like 20-something of them. Why have we been given gifts? Why has the Spirit of God gifted every single person? Because guess what? Every one of you has a gift. And if you think you don't, you do. Because the scriptures say you do. Listen to what Paul says in Corinthians 12, 7. Now to, each, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Your gifts are for the advantage and benefit of other people. Right? Your gifts are not for you. Our gifts are not for ourselves, but for others. This is not like Christmas where I give a list to my family of the things that I want, and we all do this, so we don't have to pretend we don't, and then you go get the gift, and the gift is for me. Like, it's for me to use. This is not that. This is, hey, God's like, I gave you gifts, and then go give them to other people. <laughs> the gifts are for the sake of others. Because, listen to this. If your gifts are not for yourself, and I'm not developing my gifts and trying to be equipped and understand that God has equipped me to go be his hands and feet in this world. If I am unaware of, of how God's wired me, you're not just hurting yourself because your gifts aren't for you. You're actually taking away from other people because you're not giving. Does that make sense? It's, it's a sobering thought that when we don't steward what God has given us, we are actually taking away from the development and even the gospel going out to other people. As we close, I want to say this, that our calling, our equipping, our humble service is not meant to be something we just do by ourselves. Going back to the bowling analogy, right? We're not on the lane, you know, like whatever the bowling thing is, by ourselves. We are part of a bowling team. We have cool shirts. We've got our names, like Lenny or whatever your, you know, your bowling name is, on your shirt. We're part of a bowling team, and we're cheering each other on. And we're putting the bumpers up. And we're trying to hit pins down. We are on the same team so that the body of Christ grows, so that this community gets actually renewed by Jesus. Our fall fest. That is an opportunity for us to actually use our core values, be on mission so that we can start to see the vision of God realized in this place. That's why we invite you to participate. Not just because we need more candy. 
Because those people need something. They need Jesus. And we have him. And we're supposed to give that away. I want to leave you with one question to think about. How does Jesus' example of humble service challenge the way you think of serving others? Our Savior on his knees serving. How does that challenge you? That challenges me. It makes me nervous. You're not alone in that. But I don't want to make it, I don't want to just make it too easy for us. It's supposed to challenge us. You have been equipped to humbly serve. Every one of you. Will you, will I, will we live worthy of that calling? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that it was love that moved you to serve. It was love that moved you to wash the feet of your disciples. It was love that moved you to go to the cross, to extinguish death and evil and sin. God, love is your motivation. When Paul talks about the gifts, he says that all these gifts are great, but if we don't have love, then we have nothing. Love needs to be the motivation for our service. God, you have equipped every person here, every person listening online with gifts. You've equipped them, but God, you've equipped them mostly with a heart that love might move them to humbly serve at home and in their church community, and in their city community, and in whether they have a job, or they're a student, or whether they're retired, wherever they spend their time doing, God, may love be our motivation. God, we want to see communities renewed by Jesus Christ, by his love. God, give us the courage, and the strength, and the patience, and the grace to live worthy of that calling. And we know that you have given us the grace and the strength to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.